the Forward Together podcast from Hollywood Trust with Paul Gosling and Jared Dean. Hello and welcome to the Forward Together podcast. My name is Jared Dean and I'm joined today as always by Paul Gosling. Paul, how are you? I'm fine as ever, Jared. Good stuff. Right, so this is one of four special podcasts. We're trying to capture the conversation that we've had and the 35 different episodes that we've had to date. Um, and we did this uh, at an event on September the 18th uh, here at Hollywell Trust. So, Paul, we looked at the four main themes uh, at the event, but we're going to focus for this episode on which of the themes? On civic society. Mm. Uh, and the question that we asked each of the interviewees was, how do we strengthen civic society in Northern Ireland, recognising, of course, that we're not only talking about Northern Ireland, we're also talking about the border areas, mm. and we're drawing on the experience in the Republic from the Citizens' Assemblies. Yeah, okay. So what you're going to hear now is a selection um, taken from a number of the interviews that we had, and that'll be immediately followed by the panel discussion that we, we had on the 18th. And our panel was made up of this man across the table from me, Paul Gosling. We had Maureen Hetherington from The Junction, Julianne Campbell from the Museum of Free Dairy, and Dennis Bradley. And I must point out as well, please bear in mind that the recording of the panel discussion wasn't brilliant, but it is a really important conversation and we're sticking with. Um, if it's not uh, too rude to say it, I think I would like to see our politicians speaking less, uh, or at least to be reported less, and for civic forum people to be speaking more, or to be quoted more, or to be asked more. So I would like to see civic unionism uh, becoming more active. Uh, a few years ago with Peter Robinson, uh, I tried to activate them through the Unionist Forum. And that was never going to work because although we got a lot of people in the room, some in the room were there to try and destroy the concept uh, from the get-go. So I look quite enviously uh, at, at civic nationalism and their ability to come together in such big numbers at such, such short notice in the Waterfront Hall uh, and appear to emerge uh, with the United Front. Actually, participative democracy doesn't replace representative democracy. It can actually add an element to it. But there's also a massive amount of people out there who are not voting, so they don't feel engaged with the, 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 the politics. They don't feel they have a voice. So, you know, how, how do we change that? What, how can we tweak the system, I suppose, to give... Um, to give a greater voice and to stop the situation that we're in now happening again. Um, I also was a, a member of the Civic Forum uh, when it uh, was uh, up and running. Uh, I think that it was a great idea. Um, I think it had great potential. Um, I don't think that it was particularly well run or well managed. Um, but I would like to see that idea come back again. And I would also like uh, for our politicians not to see uh, any form of civic forum or people's parliament, call it what you will, as a threat to democracy. It's absolutely not. Um, in fact, if uh, politicians really tapped into it, it's an invaluable resource for them uh, in terms of just even as a sounding board uh, to, to get some ideas, to have a, uh, a proper interface with the community, with, uh, with, with civil society. And so I would like to see something like that happen again. 
And one of the ideas that is that idea that happened in some ways in the Republic of Ireland around the abortion debate, the citizens' assembly type ideas. It's it works in Canada, it works in Iceland. There are examples all around the world. So the the idea being that you 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 uh, pick an area and pick a problem, whatever that is. Uh, you randomly select a group of people uh, from the electoral register. Um, and that could be, depending on the size of the problem, it could be 30, 40, 50, 60 people in it. Um, and you can determine the size of the area. So it could be an area the size of the Craig and Estate or, or um, the West Bank of the Foyle. So you can determine the size of the area and determine the size of the group. You identify a particular problem. Uh, so let's take as an example that it may be an area that how do we stop young people joining paramilitarism in area X. So you randomly select 30, 40, 50 people, maybe not 100 people depending on the size of it, and, and you bring an expert opinion to them first of all, where they get the views from experts who say, well, in for example, in Colombia, here's how they went about stopping young people joining groups. In Spain, this is how they stopped young people joining, and so on. And, they give them, and the opportunity for that randomly select group to ask the expert questions, and, but then they need to, time to deliberate and to debate internally among themselves, properly facilitated, uh, but also um, properly written up by somebody. And that could be over a period of two weekends, two days each weekend, uh, where that group of 50 would really engage in the conversation. And they'd be remunerated for being present. So it's not a case of you know, select people and expect them to give up their time. If we value people's time and we value people from the civic society's time, then we should remunerate them for it. Uh, once the conclusions of that report are agreed, then it goes into uh, hopefully change policy in the executive, and this will be the question as to where uh, the policymakers see it fitting and how they, they take, it, take it on board. Then that group's dissolved. And I think that there is an appreciation now that wasn't there over the last few years that we do need input from outside the political sphere in terms of... Um, input from the community sector, the voluntary sector, the churches um, and other organisations who have a genuine vested interest in society and how it works. The Assembly is a big part of that. The Assembly is a political institution, but it's more than that. It's also an institution that's meant to be reflective of wider society. And I think that there is an appreciation now for civic engagement and the importance of it as a way of dealing with complex and fraught issues that perhaps wasn't there before. I also think the emergence of the Citizens' Assembly in the South and how that negotiated through what was very sensitive work around, um, for example, termination of pregnancy um, and how they would deal with that has led to a new appreciation of the fact that if civic engagement is properly structured, and if it isn't just simply a replication of the political views of the parties in proportion to party size, then it has something new to bring to the table. And I think that those two dynamics have actually helped put it back on the agenda for discussion. So Paul, your initial reaction then to some of the comments, and I'll just flash up on the screen as well, some of the, the other themes that have arisen for us on the, the civic voice. I mean, clearly there's a lot of interest in the, the work of the Citizens' Assemblies in the Republic of Ireland. Uh, it's widely recognised that they enabled politicians in the South to do two things which they wouldn't otherwise have had the political cover to do. One was to reform uh, same-sex marriage and to introduce the legalisation of that, 
and the other was to address what was perceived to be an enormously difficult issue about uh, women's reproductive rights and the legalisation of abortion and what circumstances that should be legalised. What's not realised is that actually the Citizens' Assembly uh, considered other things as well and uh, it also looked at environmental protection uh, and that I think influenced politicians in terms of how to introduce carbon taxes and how to amend the carbon taxation regime. It probably was not perceived to have had the same effect as the others. What, what struck me in terms of the interviews we did was that everyone was supportive of civic engagement, something like the Civic Forum or the Citizens' Assemblies, bar two interviews. And the two interviews where people were not supportive were with Sinn Féin and the DUP. <laughs> where the politicians felt that to provide an alternative and apparently legitimate voice and representative system would undermine the rights of the DUP and Sinn Féin to, to be representative. Mm. So I think that indicates where the challenge lies. And I did think that um, Peter was particularly interested. We just listened there to, uh, to Peter. Uh, and it was, I, th I thought it's interesting that for someone with a background in the RUC that he, who has been thinking a lot about how we make progress, that he wasn't simply thinking in principle terms about citizens' assemblies, but thinking in practical terms. Mm -hmm. That it doesn't need, to, we got one example of a citizens' assembly in Northern Ireland, which is looking at social care, which is a big project, uh, very expensive as well. But what Peter was saying is, well, maybe the way to do it is to look more locally, and actually that's something that uh, I discussed with, uh, with Linda as well, my interview with her, about when I discussed it with Linda, is the Citizens' Assembly something that you could do at an interface point, where you had people from both sides of a wall talking about how to break down those barriers, the physical barriers and the social barriers, and, and to recognise the commonality of their, their daily lives. And Peter was talking specifically about pregnant, and bear in mind that the interview was some weeks before Lyra McKee was murdered mm. in, in Derry, in Craigan, uh, about you know, trying to think of citizens' assemblies as a way of reducing the pull of paramilitaries and what needs to be done. And I think that flows into what Avila was saying about participative, uh, participative budgeting as well, which is, you know, because I think if you were going to talk about Craigan and talk about the pull of paramilitaries in Craigan and, and Ballymac, that actually you'd also want to think about how money is spent and to create a more democratic and accountable local system for how money is spent to deal with that. Okay. Dennis, I was struck by whenever you were asked the question, I suppose it's, the, it's no surprise that there's a, a pull and a call for a greater subject voice at a time of political vacuum, but you're saying that's the time when it's really difficult to have a subject voice because you're not speaking to anybody, there's nobody there. Yeah, I, I think the whole issue about talking is fascinating at the moment because it's it's running through every aspect of politics and civic life. Um, and in many ways, I think people are very willing to talk, but don't know where to go to talk. Um, and I think that's what, in some ways, is the next big question. Um, I mean, I think England, if you take England, and I, I use the word specifically about the Constitution of England, I think it's in major difficulties at the moment, and people are beginning to talk about the need to re really talk about it. 
uh, and come to some position where it will be a written constitution going forward or whether it will continue in its kind of traditional form and how that relates to uh, Scotland, Ireland uh, and Wales. So all of those things are, are, are going on. The other thing that's going on, of course, is the North-South situation. Uh, and we're not too sure how to get engaged within that. Civic society, it, I think that's a very, a very important uh, notion. And I think it has a very important model, which happened in, in, in Dublin or in the South. Uh, whereby they just took this random, random group of people and discovered that these people were interested, intelligent uh, and insightful around a very broad number of issues. Um, in some ways, I think that the, it, it, it also has lessons to tell us. It got a lot of publicity around the abortion issue but that was already an issue that had a lot of steam and a lot of wind behind it within the South. It got much less traction around the environmental issue, of which it made a number of very important uh, interventions, but the government were very loath, or slow, perhaps slow rather than loath, slow to actually <coughs> grab that with the same impetus, because that's very complex. Uh, and apart from being also very complex, it's, it's highly politically charged in that it almost demands a change of life from everybody. And that's a highly political charged position for any government within the world, never mind within Ireland. I suppose what I'm trying to say in that is I'm very conscious of the desire, of the feeling, of the need for us to talk at so many different levels, but we haven't got the forums, uh, we haven't got the rooms, we haven't got the mechanisms just at this moment of time. I think they'll come. I do think they will come. I would actually be incredibly uh, optimistic. Probably, maybe I'm one of very few people. But I'm actually thinking that these debates and this crisis that we're supposed to be presented with at the moment around Brexit and all the other issues is actually a good thing in that it is driving us to fundamental discussions, which I think we have been loath to grab or to partake within. And I think that, in some ways, will work out. Now, the problem with that and saying that is that some of these things can go wrong, and if they go wrong, then they will go wrong at a very fundamental level as well. But I actually would be quite hopeful. And Julianne, you're talking about a civic voice. You, just, like, you targeted, if you like, a very specific group of people mm. and tried to give them a voice. Do you, and Dennis is talking about vehicles and, and allowing the space for the conversations. How effective do you think, or what was the impact on the, the people that shared their story with you. Well, it also ties in with what you were saying, Dennis, is that I think there are people willing to speak. I think there are people willing to get their hands dirty and get involved and come up with solutions. But who's out there listening? Mm. And that comes, and that's across across the board, especially, I think, in terms of political leadership or in terms of Brexit or in terms of the border situation. Everybody is fired up and has someone to say about it. But who exactly is listening and writing notes and paying attention? And... And how are we going to how are we going to change things otherwise? So while the will is there, especially here, the passion is here to change things. We haven't got the mechanisms to do it. And you're right in that respect. You know, there's a there's a vacuum. Who who's going to help? Because we have no leadership here. We have no leadership. In, it's a mess in London. Uh, that really worries me. And I think because of that, there's a malaise. And people think, what's the point getting involved? Maybe who's listening? Who cares? But I I wouldn't be as pessimistic as as that. 
Well, first of all, I always thought that there was going to be a blockage within the, within the, in the House of Commons to a no-deal situation. Always thought that there was enough people who would block that. Because there is a, there's a decency in England that sometimes we need to acknowledge, you know, there's a kind of a middle England, which is a very decent and very, I think, very tolerant um, and has a very strong, worthy history. And I always thought that that group of people would come together to actually, you know, impose themselves into this situation. Now, it, it has imposed itself up to a point. Uh, it's limited too, but I do think that that's the beginning of something which says no, we will not be overrun here, we will not just be led willy-nilly here, and, and I think that will continue to grow. But even if that solves itself, that doesn't get you out of the situation of how do you deal with Scotland, how do you deal with Ireland, how does Ireland deal with itself and so forth. So it's a fascinating time to be living, I wish I was 20 years young at the moment and kind of, you know, in the middle of, of, of have the energy uh, to have that debate because I think that, I mean, I, most of my adult life, young people have told me that they're not interested in politics, mm. not about five years ago. Yeah. Right? And they're almost now ashamed of saying that they're not interested in politics. And I think that's a wonderful change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One more point, um, and no might be putting you on the spot here, either. the mechanisms, the engaged, the civic forum, or whatever. What do you think is going to work? Because the original civic forum, the referred deal, I think, by just about everybody we, we met, doesn't work. Mm. Um, what do you think could? Well, I think the Citizens' Assembly is a really good idea, and I think that when people feel that they have become empowered, um, and it's, it's spread across, you know, there's a whole wide media awakening around that as well, you know, by the media and then out in the grassroots, I think that it can empower people, because people do feel paralysed um, at the moment. Um, I agree with Dennis, and I'm always hopeful, glass half full as long as it's wine, but um, <laughs> the idea of, uh, you know, the Citizens' Assembly is something that we can mobilise people to do. Um, I also think that um, when we're out talking at the grassroots, and I work beyond here, right, you know, a lot of work recently across different council areas, uh, bar none, a lot of people are sort of saying, we're so disgusted with our politicians, but who do we vote for? And then it's a fear factor and say, if we, if we don't vote for them, the others will get in. You know, and, and I'm finding that quite a lot. So I think that for me, uh, some of the mechanisms, you know, the structures and systems aren't fit for purpose. Certainly not here, certainly not Westminster. Um, I think that we need new blood. And we can talk around the ages while we have Stormont the way that it is, while we have the politicians the way that they are, the tribal politics. Um, we can't go very far with it. Uh, there's, a, there's a state of frustration and paralysis. So we need new blood. And how do we incentivize really good, uh, common sense people who are interested in the greater good? And Dennis, you're right, I think there's never been uh, a greater opportunity because there's, there's nobody uh, has not engaged to some level about Brexit. So I think that we have to go with that opportunity. We have to look at the parallels of 100 years ago of what's happening now, again with partition. Um, and try to dispel all the fear around that and we've talked a lot about this about it's going to be 10 years even talking and having those conversations and you know it, it will be the role of the community and the community sector as always to hold the line so I don't know if I've answered your questions but you know I'm, I'm a good uh, I'm a journalist it doesn't matter what you ask I'm going to answer that. 
anything else anybody wants to add on the sub voice end of the, the podcast that we have? I really like the idea of having a, some kind of civic forum at infra- interface areas. I think that would work and it's been proven that it's worked before, mm. you know, even in terms of, of working with uh, the parade in issue in Derry that has worked to an extent here where it hasn't worked elsewhere so I think there's potential in, in that Excuse me. in that idea yeah, that should be explored mm. and the, the water side the community groups and the water side mm. between our street and mm. how does they work and as soon as people are willing you yeah. know and magic can happen so and, and I'm sorry if I've sounded so pessimistic cause uh, so it just shows you how, how down on Brexit I am <laughs> <laughs> The, the interest of young people is genuine there. I was asked by the Minecraft Forum to attend a meeting last Friday where there were 60 teenagers who were discussing actively with me about politics from across the city, different schools, uh, who are particularly exercised around Brexit and mm. certainly are very keen to be engaged in that, 13 to 16 year olds. Mm. Okay. Can, can I send a... A word of warning on this. I think Civic Forum is great, great idea, and somebody's been involved or helped to be involved in, in different things through, throughout the last number of years. But the frustration and all of that is that it's no, it has no power. And if you're going to set up a Civic Forum, I mean, the Civic Forum that there was in, in Starland was in some ways quite brilliant, in other ways an absolute waste of time, because the, the, the MLAs just ignored it, the media ignored it, everybody ignored it except the people who were involved in it. So it has to have power. It, 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 they, you know, the politicians have to agree that we, we will listen to this, we will, we will pay heed to it, and we will react according to what, it, uh, what we've been told. Otherwise, otherwise it, it becomes worse than the Nolan show. I think the key thing is no, yeah. whether, whether, whether it's something that is helpful for politicians or is unhelpful for politicians. So in the South, the citizens' assemblies have worked where they've given politicians cover for doing things which they knew they had to do. And for example, Simon Hamilton was recognising the positive potential for citizens' assemblies in enabling politicians to undertake health reforms, which otherwise they would have been too scared to carry out because they would have expected local resistance to, for example, hospitals being merged, in other words, some hospitals being closed. So if it enables politicians, if it gives them cover for doing things they know has to be done, then they're much more positive than if it's perceived to be a forum in which they're criticized. But I think that there, I think that's an important intervention. It's an important warning to you, I also think. There are a number of functions, I think, for Civic Forum. And I think one of, the per- one of the better examples of how it works or what its contribution can be, there was a bit of an argument after the peace process kicked in here as to whether the peace was led or achieved out of the ground level civic engagement or whether it was led and achieved out of the kind of high, high politics. And the truth of the matter is the results of whatever you're trying to achieve will be lessened if both are not operative at the one and the same time. Um, but civic forums cannot achieve what high politics achieves and high politics cannot achieve what, what, civic, what civic engagement can achieve. 
they, they are two, two different purposes. Where the purposes is within high politics, and that's never going to change, neither should it change. But what civic engagement and discussion can do is influence that, or force it along, or hush it along, uh, or, or angrily push it along, whatever it might be, but it in itself doesn't have the power. Our difficulty at the moment, and this is where it, it needs to define itself, cannot be a substitute. Civic forums cannot be a substitute for, for an assembly or parliament or a DAO. cannot be and should not try to be. But what it can do is to try to create a climate or an atmosphere where politicians feel that they have the freedom or are being pushed to do things. Uh, or that at least there's not a hostility towards, or whatever way it is. The other thing that they can do, or a civic forum can do, is that when the power is identified as to where it should sit and is operable, it then can influence that, that forum to actually allow it to get on with things that it perhaps would be fearful to do. There are two different things. Civic forum in the South is about enabling politicians to do things that they find difficult. A civic forum here cannot be a substitute for politics, but what it could be at the moment is creating an atmosphere whereby politicians find it more easy to do things that they find difficult. So I think you have to define what you're actually trying to achieve within a civic forum at any particular time. But I think you're right. If, it isn't, if there's no power base, then things don't change. Mm. Unless you, you know, it's a slow <coughs> job. Okay. I think, just that, yeah, sorry, just like, I think that, that those last two points are really, really important about where the power lies and what sort of narrative is the power working to and who has created that narrative. Now, None of you who know me would be surprised to hear me say that I think that's a cultural narrative before it's a political narrative. Cultural in the broadest sense in terms of identity and so forth. But there's, there's two very big examples where a narrative created in, and I would include this sort of dialogue and the podcast process as part of the cultural process, um, where something created in the cultural process was transferred to the political process. And it seems to me that that transference is the key to this because the power resides where it resides. And if you, you have to change the narrative there, but you have to construct the narrative first, it seems to me, in whatever space we think we're working in. First example is late 19th century, uh, the Celtic Twilight came up with a narrative which we now know was partly falsified and made up and invented and so forth, highly romanticized. But it did create a narrative that I think led directly, I'm not, not alone thinking this, this is not my original thought, that led directly to 1916. Because that, that narrative fueled action in the real world rather than in cultural space, or the arts, which led to independence and so forth. And, and you know, we can argue, and it's very clear, that no sooner had British colonisation ended in Ireland than it was recolonised by the Catholic Church after independence. So, I'm not, I'm not saying that the result was great. I'm saying it is possible to move from a cultural discourse, transfer it to political discourse, and have effect in the real world. Now, you can't guarantee the outworkings of that effect. The other occasion, I think, is the peace process. The peace process itself, uh, in relation to the North, that I think a huge amount of work was done within cultural space, and we can name all the, the practitioners that we would, we would know about, Fidley Theatre Company, Healy, Michael Longley, all the rest. That dialogue went on, and another kind of language was quite consciously explored and created. 
And the David Irving has talked at an event that I was involved in very clearly that the peace process work, the Good Friday Agreement, uh, came about because the politicians had a new language and had another narrative to work to, which was not about victory or defeat, which was about coexistence, parity of esteem. Even that phrase, parity of esteem, which somebody coined, and you know, I've met a number of civil servants in Dublin who claim that they but the power of language and naming something in a certain way seems to me to be the importance of the space that you're talking about. But I think at the same time as so it just isn't a cul-de-sac, a cultural cul-de-sac, which I think was one of the problems the cultural sector has often, is transferring it, ensuring that there is some mechanism and some process whereby it gets transferred, transferred to a political space to the, the, the to the people who hold the legal the levers of power who will actually make things happen in the real world. So it's building a narrative or a set of narratives and then transferring them seems to be is a really important uh, process. And that was the intention behind this podcast. Right, oh, no, right, right back to its intention was it was yeah. to, sh- to show the the conversation between the civic force and the political force. And it's incredible too when you listen to it as a piece. It's the positivity of the civic force as opposed to some of the uh, less optimistic views, let's say, some of the politicians. Well, you know Einstein's definition of insanity? Uh, uh, that, 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 that you keep doing the same thing and expect a different outcome. Yeah. Politics at the moment is doing the same thing. That's like playing the lottery. Hmm. <laughs> but that sometimes it works. Sometimes it works. And the narrative has been so toxic. Yeah. Uh, and we can't get the politicians. And we've been trying to... Um, Look over the last hundredth, you know, the hundredth anniversaries, the decade of um, anniversary, you know, hundred commemorations, and we've been trying to um, dispel some of the myths and change the narrative that that meant that people went down particular lines in history and also look into the future. Um, and I think that you're absolutely right. We're having to try and change the narratives because the narrative at the moment is so toxic. But it's getting the politicians to buy into that. And at the moment, it has become more tribal and more toxic. Um, and it's getting them to listen because a lot of the fear on the ground is, you know, the fear on what's being said about Brexit. So people are becoming more entrenched. And whenever Sinn Féin talk about one part of the narrative and then the DUP talk, they're so polarised. And rather than that, the greater of trying to bring people together to have better understanding, we're all in this together. Um, it's poles apart, and it's now fueled by fear. And there's, there's a group today from the loyalist community, and it's 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 all fear, um, you know. But you're right; it's it's about changing the narrative, and and sort of bringing history forward to learn the lessons from it. Because tragically, there's so many parallels now from a hundred years ago to now in the partition, but there's no lessons being learned. There's nothing being brought forward to take into the future. And I think that the civic forum idea works really well when you're saying this is a complex issue or a series of complexities involved in this issue and, and, and the answer isn't clearly this or that mm-hmm. it, 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 the answer is complex as well as the, the question mm-hmm. and, uh, and so we have to but in a sense politics, party politics doesn't allow for complexity mm-hmm. it, it wants this is our side and that's your side so that that's this, it sort of reminds me, I know it's, it's a, a tangent slightly, but 
I think we almost we found that shared identity and we came together and all the civic voices got for the city of culture and we decided this is our identity. We're trying to shake off these uh, bad perceptions. This is the new us, how cultured are we? All the beautiful things and wonderful things we've done and it was sort of squandered. So I think, and that ties in with what you were saying, where's the politicians to back all that up? All the groundwork, all, all the brilliant work done on the city and you thought it would last for years and these great benefits and it died to death because the, the people in charge weren't listening. You know, so that's, that's an example locally of all the hard work that was done by all these voices coming together and where are we now? It's, it's a distant memory. So thank you for listening to our first review of the Forward Together podcast. Thanks to, uh, to our funders, the Community Relations Council for Northern Ireland. Thanks for listening. Community Relations Council for Northern Ireland supports this podcast through its media grant scheme and core funding programme.